Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Look out, it's only films to be buried with The Resurrection. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with The Resurrection. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a tambourine man, and I love film. As Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, Don't be pushed by your problems, be led by your dreams. If you want to make a film about a love affair between a stand-up and an opera singer who have a singing puppet baby, you very much should. Sparks did, and it was fucking brilliant. Yeah, I love that film. That's fair enough, Ralph Waldo. Good point, well brought up. Every week, I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. But not this week! This week, I use my newly acquired shamanic powers to bring back a former guest from the dead and ask them 12 new questions and this week it is the return of the wonderful podcaster writer critic presenter and documentary filmmaker mr mark kermode check out the patreon at patreon.com forward slash brett goldstein where you get an extra 20 minutes with mark where we talk plain film secrets and many more wonderful things plus you get all of the episodes uncut ad free and most of them as a video check it out over at patreon.com forward slash brett goldstein Tickets are selling fast for the big, huge, live films to be buried with live at the Hackney Empire on July 2nd. Make sure you get your tickets for that from plosive.co.uk and hackneyempire.co.uk. So I said we were going to take a break, but here is the last episode before I'm going to take a break from the podcast, probably just a month off. Who knows? Don't panic. It'll be fine. We'll all be together at the live show on July 2nd. But this is a very special episode that I recorded with Mark Kermode last week. And I thought, I can't hold this off. You guys need it. He's brilliant. You all know who Mark Kermode is. You should listen to his new podcast, Kermode and Mayo's Take, which is a brand new podcast, which is exactly the same as their whole podcast. And it's brilliant. And you'll love it. This was such a lovely time. I really enjoyed talking to Mark again. I was very grateful for his time. And I think you're really going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 201 of Films to be Buried with The Resurrection. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with The Resurrection. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today by a writer, an actor, a movie star, a podcaster, a double podcaster, a triple podcaster, a non-fictionalist, 
a fictionalist, a lover, a cold swimmer, and a musician, and a skiffler, and a man. Please welcome back to the show. Can't believe he's come back. It's only him. Here he is. It's Mr. Mark Carmine. Hello, Brett. What's what's the actor thing? I don't think I'm an actor. Am I? I, Have I acted? Well, you're in films, aren't you? You're in Benjamin. No, but I mean, as me, that doesn't count. Yeah, but that takes some serious acting, as you know, from Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, that's right. Me, me and Simon Mayo were better at being me and Simon Mayo than Gordon Ramsay was at being Gordon Ramsay, which was, which was remarkable. Although, weirdly enough, just yesterday, mm-hmm. I, was, I was doing something yesterday in the studio and I bumped into Simon Amstel, who I haven't seen for, in forever. And of course, you know, usually if you want to get in touch with me, you need to DM him on Twitter because Simon doesn't do Twitter. Really. He's got a Twitter account, but he only ever puts up very sort of, you know, short statements on it. And, um, and we talked about Benjamin and um, he's, doing, he's doing another film now. And uh, yeah. so we talked about it and, he, and, uh, and I said, yeah, I was, very, I was very pleased with it because me and Simon did come out of it looking like me and Simon. Because I had worried that we were going to come out of it looking like Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> it is hard to play yourself. I wouldn't. I would. I mean, because if you, I have thought about that. Like, it should be easy, but you'd be so self-conscious if you're suddenly like, yeah, just do what you do. Suddenly, you're questioning what your hands do, what your face does. I mean, no wonder Gordon Ramsay was a wreck. <laughs> I mean, yes, it is. It is really hard. I've done it more than once, though, because yeah. I did it. At least I played a sort of. I, I played a version of myself, darling. I played a version of myself in um, the absolutely fabulous special. I was some arsy critic sitting on a, that's on a right, sofa. That's right. Yeah. And I had a line that had a rude double entendre about first being attracted to her bouche, which I have to say, <laughs> I didn't understand when I said the line. It was only when I saw it. I go, oh, that's, that's all right. So I didn't get it. <laughs> and then there was a thing. I always go back to this because there was a thing on extras yes when ricky gervais was doing one of the they, they, it was it was him being slagged off on newsnight review and it was me and mark lawson That's and right. um, jermaine greer and then there was only really a tiny little bit in the background you know slagging him off only a tiny little bit and then he could he did another one like a sort of viral thing in which he's on the sofa as well and then we had to be ourselves for that as well so <laughs> i have a big career playing myself on screen <laughs> to stretch Big news for you. Many yeah. congratulations on your new podcast, um, which you, I love and is so different from the old podcast. It's a real. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the key differences that really, really, really strike home. It's for a you. real bold, bold <laughs> new concept. Because <laughs> I was worried. I was like, oh man, they're really going for it. They're really mixing this up. And uh, it is lovely to have you back. You've been gone. <laughs> How long were you gone? A month? It felt long. It was exactly a month, yeah. yeah it was a month, enough. and uh, you know, and it was. I mean, actually, it was quite nice to just have a, you know, have a little bit of, uh, of time out because usually, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that we're off sometimes, but you know, usually it's, it's you know, it's kind of one thing off the other. Obviously, Simon's got his show that he was doing on Greatest Hits, so yeah, it was nice to have a, actually have a break and then come back again. But yeah, what's what has stressed me out because there is one difference, which is you're now also talking about TV. Mm-hmm. As someone who himself has a film podcast, I barely have time. For the film, oh, no. you're no, adding no. in TV to the mix. How are you? No, but okay, doing that? it's not okay. Just to be clear about this, yeah, we are doing some TV. We are doing. Okay. There's a whole thing on, you know, the, the second podcast we just recorded about Simon getting off his bike about the phrase "film adjacent TV" because we were trying to explain we're not we're not TV critics. We're just not. We will do some TV, mm. and it was usually some TV that has a kind of a you know a connection to what we know about through films, like for example. Essex Serpent, which is directed by Clio Barnard. So consequently, you know, okay, fine. 
I mean, usually in the in the space of any show, we'd review you know six, seven movies. We'll probably do five or six movies and and a TV thing, you know. But it's not. It's it, we're absolutely not reviewing TV. You won't be getting the updates on what's happening in East End, <laughs> EastEnders. Or, you know. I absolutely would love your updates on that, though. You absolutely and now you said it out loud. You're going to get a lot of messages from people going, "Hang on a second, you threw that away quite casually. That would be fun." It's funny because when I was young, when I was in Manchester in the eighties. I used there is a point to this story, incidentally. I used to right. do my laundry on a Sunday afternoon in a there was a, a laundrette in Whitworth Park, I think it was called, mm-hmm. and it was a lawn it was a laundrette, and then it had next to it, it had a kind of a sitting room, you know, we not a sitting room room that you could wait in, and it had a telly in it. Well, I didn't have a telly because I was in my kind of you know militantly, I'm not having a telly period, but it turned out that the East Enders omnibus was on Sunday afternoon. I think it was between two and three. And I realised after a while that I was deliberately doing my laundry between two and three. And nice. my friend Phil's like, what, 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 you know, what's the thing? You know, we've got a band. Why? Why? And I go, no, no, I've got to do the laundry between two and three. And that was, I think it was, that was what I think was the kind of heyday because it must have been, you know, Ange and Dirty, Dirty Dan. Dirty Dan. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And all that stuff. And I, you know, and I used to kid myself that I just, you know, yeah. I'm doing the laundry, but I wasn't. You were deliberately making it. your clothes dirty so you had an excuse to go back. You yeah, fine. Yeah. No, oh, no, I've poured stuff on myself. I've got to go right, back. Yeah. <laughs> I need another 10 minutes in the dry. <laughs> Mark Kermode, I have brought you back to life because I like you. You have been resurrected. But what point in your life would you like to come back to? Now or sometime in the past, is there a wrong you would like to right or a right to wrong? Let us know now, Mark Kermode, please. It was really funny. While you were doing that Voice of God thing, you went all glitchy. So it was oh. like it was like the it Matrix. Was really- it was like the the <laughs> Brett's. Yeah. So so what? If I could come back at any time, would yeah. I come back to the present or to the past? In your life, honestly, to the mm-hmm. present. Yeah, honestly, I'd come to right now because. I mean, not because everything's hunky dory, because like any like any other time in in your life, you know, the, the the things that are going well and things that aren't going so well. But um, I've got a, this sounds like a really naff thing to say, but I've got a really lovely family, and the last year has really shown me just how lovely they are. Hmm. And I think that one of the one of the things that's kind of strange is that you can spend quite a lot of time just going about your business and not realizing uh, how much, you know, love and affection you have around you. And then you look back and you go, I'd love to go back to that point. Mm. I'd love to go back to that point, you know, when, when everything, and actually I'm, I'm in one of the rare moments in my life when, as I said, it's not, it's not, it's not everything's plain sailing. It isn't by any means, but just over the last year, it's been a bit of, you know, it's been, it's been a strange year. And one of the things that has been demonstrated to me is that the family, and I mean not just my my wife and my my kids, but also my you know my my family, my extended family, right. have just all been really really lovely, solid, decent people. And um, mm. you know that thing about you only really know people when the you know when the shit hits the fan. I've just had very good reason recently to discover that I really like how you know what 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 a great you know what a great family i've got around me so i'd be very happy to come back to this because not only it's not just because they've been great now and they haven't been it's because i'm noticing it now in a way that i probably haven't done before mark kermode you're going to make me cry like mark kermode watching any <laughs> film <laughs> 
<laughs> that's really, I mean, that's the best answer I've ever had for that. I think that's beautiful. I really, I'm really glad that you are in the present, appreciating the present. That is unusual, isn't it? Yeah, and it's also the, the, the thing that's the hardest to do, isn't it? So, you know, yeah. when people say, live in the moment. Yeah, try. Yeah. Just, you know, just, just have a go. Really, really hard. You're a Zen Buddhist, you are. <laughs> I think I asked you this last time, but it still astonishes me. There are films that you watch again. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you'll, you'll talk about a film and you go, I went to see it again, and often that film was three and a half hours and fucking well, I slow. Tell you, and I think... But, no, on, but I, there's a kind of... Well, if I'm writing a lead review for The Observer, okay, yeah. I would like to have seen it twice. Now, obviously, sometimes I can't. Mm-hmm. But if I can, I will. And the reason is that if you're going to write something, it feels mm-hmm. kind of, you'll, you'll understand it. It feels like journal of record. When you write things, when you say things, they're in the ether and they're like that yeah. until some, somebody transcribes them. And then you go, excuse me, I didn't mean that. But when you write things, it's kind of, and particularly with the observer, because it's the observer, it sort of feels journal of record. And so mm-hmm. I do like to watch something twice to just to check and to and mm. because often the first pass is to do with you know getting the, the feel of the film and then the second pass is to do with understanding it yeah and then quite often if you've watched the film twice and got a lot out of it it's quite easy to step back into it mm. you know it, it, it just is and also the films that i love you know like the richard gear breathless and you know, doodle and the blue cat and, and all those stuff that i've talked about elsewhere Mm. They they're just they're comfort blankets for me, and I I, I love them, and they they never let me down. And I, I I so there's always time to do it, even when there's no time to do anything at all. There is always time to just revisit. And of course, the great thing is, you know, you can dip in and out. Yeah, I can't, I was late doing something. I just I was staying just I was in a I was in a glamorous travel lodge the last two nights, and um and I I was up late finishing work, and I had to be up early in the morning to do the thing and I did made the mistake of turning the television on and they were showing the Poseidon adventure oh wow you were you think, I'll just, I'll just watch I'll just watch five minutes you know <laughs> the next thing yeah. you know, you know <laughs> this morning an hour's gone yeah it's anyway so. <laughs> well you have come back to now well done the living want to talk to you about films okay. and whatnot mostly films the first thing that they would like to know and they have missed you, and they're very excited that you've come back. I mean, imagine if this was what happened with Jesus. He pops back and everyone, all anyone's going is, what was the last film you saw? <laughs> anyway, what was the last film you saw? The last film I saw will have been mm. the whatever I saw screened on Tuesday. Oh, so it must have been The Quiet Girl, the Irish oh, movie, yeah. which is wonderful. I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. You know, it was like a kind of little oasis of joy in the middle of a, of a slightly strange week. And I, I, I knew my colleague Wendy Eyde had said, look, it's very good and, you know, yeah. you'll like it because she knows I like selling CMR and that sort of thing. But I just, I went, it was a, a screening, the screening was at the Curzon Soho, mm-hmm. um, but it was down, you know, it was down in the, in, I think it was in screen three or wherever it was. And it was really odd because... There's only about five people there because I imagine that other people had seen it already. And then in the middle of it, somebody came in who I think must have just come in off the street and came in, sat in one of the back rows and very, very loudly fell asleep and snored. But I don't think they, they didn't come in to watch the film. They'd just yeah. come in to get, to get warm or something. And it's an indication of how good the film was that it bothered me not one jot that somebody nice. was getting a nice warm kip while we were getting on with watching the film. Because you know, usually I'd be insufferable. I'd be like, People making noise, but you know, no, I thought it was low. Have you, have you seen it? No, I have I literally oh. just read about it today, and I, it's the first I'd heard of it. But so it's... good, 
it's so lovely, good. right? It's a lovely one. It's touching and heartfelt and understated. And it's got this fantastic central performance by this this young uh, actor. I haven't seen him before, which is, which is great. And it's mm. really well directed. And it's just, you know, you just go, yes, that's it. Make make that. Make that film. That's a, that's a good... And I came out of it feeling really like, oh, yeah, you know... I, if I have one of those a year, I'll be good. You know, oh, it, that's it, it, really it, nice. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. Oh, well, then I'll definitely see that. Mark Hermod, who do you think should play you in the film of your life? Well, you know the answer to this already. I do know this answer. And your answer is Jason Isaacs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantasy thing for me because, you know, I know I've talked about this at great length, but I, I, I'll never tire of it. When I was at school with Jason, mm-hmm. Jason was the person who I wanted to be. And I, you know, I was a teenager and I had, I think basically I had a teenage crush on him in that way that you can become completely infatuated with somebody. It doesn't matter your gender or your, you know, mm-hmm. sexual orientation. It's nothing to do with that. You can, you can basically fall in love with somebody because you just, they impress you so much. And of, and of course it's funny because Jason now says, look, your version of me is completely wrong. Like you thought I was cool and aloof and but but I wasn't any of those things actually I was an outsider I'd come down from Liverpool I didn't know anybody Jason talks about changing his accent so he fitted in in Mm. North London and of course he's you know he's a chameleon when it comes to accents yeah um but because we're sort of we're the same age and yet he looks half my age I said to him the other day I said Jason can I ask you a question because I'm completely you know I've completely gone completely Nick Lowe as you can see from this I said Jason do you dye your hair he said of course not they dye it for me but yeah i'd love to be played by jason it will never happen though well here's the thing he could play you sure and he'd do a very good job he's a very good actor but you've proved that 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 you're very good at playing yourself so i think it might have to be you i'll do i'll do it myself yeah yeah jason could probably do you actually i'm just thinking that you know yeah yeah i mean this is funny because on this, I'm looking at you on this camera. You've got this very kind of action man look about you that you've got in the in the, in the black and white. You know, action man with the the, the, the same yeah. length beard and hair. You know, the yeah. with the eagle eyes and the gripping hands that you're using now to use your coffee cup. And the um, grippy hands. <laughs> but I, you know, he Jason can play anyone. To be honest, Jason can play anyone. He could. That is true. What is the most romantic film you've ever seen? And is it Near Dark? Well, you know, in a way, you've kind of you've you've committed the Simon Mayo sin of asking a question to which the answer is yes. I mean, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> I mean, it, the thing is, you know, in absolute terms, I love Splash. You know, I've gone on about Splash a lot. I, yeah. I absolutely love Splash because it's just, I love Splash. you know, I loved it before Quentin Tarantino loved it. All right, you know, and now <laughs> so, yeah, everyone loves Splash. You go, yeah, well. I went to see Splash at the Withington City City when I was in in Manchester. And um, I went to see it like, you know, two or three times in the same Mm. week. And people said, it's just a mermaid comedy. What, what, what is, what's the thing? But but I love Tom Hanks in that film. I just thought he was so great. And then of course I Mm. then saw, I think they re-released Bachelor Party and it was terrible, except for the bit when he does the thing with all the burners are currently occupied, which was funny. And then it's lovely that now all these years later, Tom Hanks has turned into the person that Simon and I regularly cite as the best interview in the world because he mm. does that thing about he makes you think that for the time that you're in the room with him, you are the only person that's in the room with him. Yeah. But Near Dark will always have the, the upper hand because it was, the, you know, it was the first film that Linda and I saw together. I thought it was a date. She says it wasn't. But, you know, it's, you can't ever unhinge the thing that you 
Mm. The, you know, the, the time that you saw something in. I mean, like, I remember the best breakup movie I ever saw was Hellraiser. <laughs> I went to see Hellraiser, which I'd already seen, but I went to see Hellraiser at the end of a, a sticky relationship. And I just remember going to, you know, taking myself to the Salford Keys to see Hellraiser, yeah. and it was just like blood and you know, <laughs> stuff and pins in the heads and, you know, and all that stuff. And it was just like, yeah, there we go. That's the money. That's what we want. I'm over it. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so over it. And, um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, Near Dark will always be will always be the thing for me because, because mm. we, you know, we saw it together and I remember. And I remember thinking, God, I bet she thinks I'm really cool that I've brought her to this grungy vampire movie. You know, I didn't, I didn't take her to Star is Born or, or, or um, you know, or something like that. I took, I took her to see a film because I kind of, because I respect her, you know. Because, you know <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, what she, turns out what she was actually thinking is, this is an interesting film. Who's he? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I really love that. This one is a real interesting question for you, particularly, okay. given what we've yeah. said. What is the best film you've ever seen that you never want to see again? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, there are things like, there, there are endless documentaries about animal cruelty, which I think are, are brilliant, but I wouldn't want to see them again because, mm-hmm. because, because I just, you know, they, they, you know I, I just find it heartbreaking because I'm a you know, bleeding heart liberal. I know loads of people who, whose lives were changed by seeing Cowspiracy, for example, but you wouldn't want to see it again. Yeah. I think the act of killing is an absolutely existential, soul-shaking experience, and I cannot imagine having an evening free and thinking, <laughs> you know, oh, I'll no. do that. I mean, I, I you know, I, mm. I did watch Act of Killing twice because I watched it once, and then I had to review it for the Observer. Not had to review; it, I wanted to review it for the Observer, mm. and so I, I, I went back and watched it again, and I just found it utterly soul-shaking. I mean, genuinely mm. soul-shaking but I wouldn't want to watch it again. I don't need to. I mean, it's pretty much burned into my, you know, my mm. brain. Come and see is another example, isn't it? The clean of, you know, it's. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, once is kind of, it's kind of fun. The thing I would cite is there's a film called Martyrs, which is a yeah. horror movie. And I've said this before. I ca- it's the closest I've ever come to walking out of a film without walking out of the film. Mm. And by the time I got to the end I was really glad I hadn't walked out, but I never wanted to see it again. And I always cite it as a kind of interesting case of it got so close to having gone too far for me. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it didn't. And I'm glad I saw it through to closure, but I, I've only seen it once and I wouldn't go back and watch it again. Like, are you able to articulate the difference? I sometimes wonder if it's intent, but I've heard you talk about it and I think I feel similarly, but less than you, as in you like gore and and nasty stuff happening and then occasionally I hear you talk about a film and you'll be like that is a horrible it was like and it's another horror and it has blood and guts in it but you sort of find it disgusting and abhorrent and can you articulate if there is a common theme of why that what's the difference between one that you really enjoy and one that you're like this is bad news I I mean I'll have a go yeah I had a I had a kind of a, a, a rule for a while. This thing about you know that in my experience, certainly when I had started when I started out working in film criticism, I was a horror fan first and foremost. So when I first started trying to get interviews and uh, mm. you know, that kind of thing, it was it just turned out that the people I went to were horror filmmakers. Yeah, I went to Los Angeles in the late nineteen eighties because I was I've been working a little bit for Time Out and uh, New Musical Express freelancing, but I was just writing film reviews and I needed 
bigger things. I needed features. So I went to stay with my friend Tim Polcat in, um, he lived off of Hollywood. And I thought while I was there, I'll get some interviews. And I sent out a bunch of you know, faxes, it would have been then, to people saying, look, I'm a freelancer from the UK. I write for these publications. I can't guarantee that the thing will end up in any of these publications. Would you give me half an hour of your time? The three people who gave me an hour of their time was Wes Craven, who made Last House on the Left, arguably one of the most terrifyingly unpleasant films ever made. Mm. Um, Sam Raimi, who made The Evil Dead, which was on the, you know, the video nasty sort of hit list and was described, one of the BBFC examiners said that after watching it, they felt that they'd been physically assaulted. And Linda Blair, the star of The Exorcist, which is the movie that sent people running out of theatres and into churches. They were all lovely. They were really, Mm. really lovely, thoughtful, nice, funny, sweet you would have trusted them with your life and then later on you know Guna Hansen who played Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre lovely bloke just big big bear of a guy you know who you know the kind of person who would you know give you lift you up over a wall if you needed you know that kind of thing and then simultaneously I interviewed some other people who were you know the head of some big corporations who make some big family entertainment and they were absolute assholes like really really I did an on stage with one who just will remain nameless, but somebody who was pretty high up in a studio which had made, you know, some of the most saleable kids entertainment in the world. And I thought he was a contemptible oaf and just sneery, just like had no, appeared to have no love of movies in him, did not appear yeah. to, did not appear to love movies at all. And so the thing with, with gore cinema is I like movies that, that provoke a reaction, that provoke a response. And it, that works for me. Um, I like, horror movies because they take me out of them you know they, you, mm-hmm. they, in the moment you know you're alive in the moment but i think that there's a thing about that movies have an attitude that can be uh, adventurous or scary but it can also have a, an attitude which can be mean-spirited and i remember talking to nigel floyd once about um, peter jackson whose work i like very much but he made yeah. this film meet the feebles and i thought that meet the feebles was a really mean-spirited film mm. And it was interesting to discover that, of course, it was born out of a great conflict, that he had been trying to get another project off the ground and had been frustrated and ended up doing Meet the Feebles. And you can feel the anger in that film, which is very weird for Peter Jackson because he's not an angry filmmaker. But that film feels... You know, you, you you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's it's there's something about that film. I know exactly what you mean. It's really horrible. It's really un- it's really it's really just nasty. It's not, it's not made it's, with love, is it? That's that's and the there we go. And yeah. there, that's hitting the nail on the head. And if mm. you compare that to say, Whereas Evil um, Dead is made with love. Yeah, it is. And you know, yeah. the George Romero uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead movies. Those are made with with, with absolute mm. love. And then Argento, I think, would be the same thing. You know, Argento. If yeah. you talk about you know his move from Jalo into horror and Suspiria, Profondo Rosso, all those things. These are films that are made with by somebody who the joy of making the film. You can yeah. feel it. You can feel it. And that's why partly I think why Darry used to get so offended about his movies being cut, because he he loved them. He loved the films. And then he couldn't understand why somebody said, Well I love it, but I've got to cut this bit off it. Yeah. You know David Cronenberg once said that having your having your film cut was like Sending a child to school and it being sent with a sent back with one of its fingers cut off because they'd said yeah it wasn't it was fine but we didn't like that yeah. bit so anyway there you go for sure it's a very Cronenbergian uh, image <laughs> but 
So yeah, I think it's it, it, it is the film made with a sense of celebration and love and and, and you know you know or, or adventurous. I mean, it's perfectly possible to make a nihilistic film, but with, mm. without it being mean spirited. Yeah. I think mean spirited, you know, is the thing that I don't like. That's it. You got it. I sound so sanctimonious. Don't no, I? no, sorry. I completely agree. I do think it's it is as silly as it may sound. It is if you make anything with love, you can. T- the Exorcist is made with love. It's fucking oh, amazing. Gotcha. You can feel the yeah. I get why you love The Exorcist. And then, yeah, I don't have to name all the films not made with love, but you can feel it. You could tell. What is the best action film you've ever seen? Mark. Well, I love Point Break. Okay. I mean, I, I just love Point Break. I mean, I know I know it's a kind of, it's, you know, it's immediately you're in hot fuzz territory, but, you know, you ever seen Bad Boys 2? You ever seen Point Break? No, which one do you want to watch first? Have you ever shot a gun in the air while going, ah! Um, but the point is... Point Break is one of those movies like Die Hard that you go into it. Your expectation is never going is not what the film is. Okay, so mm. I mean, I knew that I liked Bigelow, but Point Break was like, wow, you know, this is a surfing movie, and Keanu Reeves apparently just jumped out of a plane without a parachute, and the you know the chase sequence, you know, when they're doing the thing, and then you see how they did it at the camera with the thing and the the hoop yeah. on the end, which they were following. The, that film barrels at such a pace it's absolutely breathtaking and i also remember seeing die hard for the first time because people had said to me die hard is really good and i wasn't a bruce mm. willis fan i didn't know moonlighting from a hole in the ground and you know i'd heard that it was ta- you know cowboys and indians in the towering inferno and then you go it's so good it's so it's good ju- it's so good mm. and um i mean obviously it's you know it's got great script and great performances and Rickman is, is wonderful. And, but just as an action movie, as a piece of action cinema, it's great. But I think Point Break has got the edge because Point Break is a film which, you know, it's land, sea and sky. It's like how many terrains can you run? And it's like it's all of them. Surf and turf, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's, it's surf the, surf, the surf and turf with, with you know, with, with a bird, you know, with a, a bird, you know, <laughs> yeah. surf, turf and a boof. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Good answer. You can have it. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Of all the films that exist, if you had to, which film do you think you could have made and why? Well, you, you know, to start with the proviso, as I've said to you before, Brett, I couldn't make a film. I with the caveat that you couldn't make a film. With, with the caveat could. that I couldn't make a film because I couldn't make a film. So in a way, it's an impossible question to answer because all the films that I love, I couldn't have made. And all the films I don't like, I couldn't have made either. Not because I would have done them better, because I would have done yeah. them worse. I have always said to people, look, if I... 
criticise your film, please understand that it's coming from somebody who couldn't have made the film, you know, I couldn't have made Oversex Rug Suckers from Mars. I mean, I really couldn't have made, even that low level. But of all the films, do you mean which one would I like to have made? Uh, I guess what the question is, and is, is what's the sort of film that you think represents, maybe it's another way of saying, like, what film do you relate to like if you I, i've seen a film occasionally where i've gone like oh, fuck i could have written that as in i couldn't have written oh, it sensibility wise i like that's well i think you exactly know i think in that, of... yeah okay i think in that case the answer again i'm sorry to do the old hits but i'm an old man and i'm not changing my mind about much anymore mm-hmm. i think jeremy is the film that that, okay. that that felt like you know because bear in mind when i saw jeremy i was i was 12 i think you know okay. i saw it on a double bill with break heart pass and it was a supporting film and i didn't know it i didn't know anything about it and then it broke my heart in a thousand pieces mm. and then I never saw it again for 30 years. Yeah. But I remembered every single thing about it. And I think that the reason is it's that, have you ever seen that film Velvet Goldmine? The Todd Haynes. Yeah, Todd yeah. Haynes film. Yeah. And there's a bit in it when I think it's Christian Bale. I mean Christian Bale, don't I? Batman, Christian Bale. Yes, yeah, Christian Bale or Ewan McGregor. He's watching the television and he sees, well, in the, in the conceit of the film, he basically sees Bowie or something like Bowie on mm-hmm. the telly and he jumps up and he goes that's me that's me and right. he's some you know he's like a kid in play, but he looks at it and he goes that's me and although it clearly isn't him it's you know yeah. because he's in a front room watching a telly and this is some glam rocker on 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 the telly but when I saw Jeremy it was like somebody had you know it's that's me. And of course it isn't me, but I don't live in New York. I don't go to Juilliard. You know, I was never in that. I was too, you know, I was young. I was never in that position. I'd never been in, in love and had my heart broken. Although I did feel like I was in love and had my heart broken by the film. And then years later, year, decades later, I, when I became friends with Alan Jones, it turned out that Alan, I love Alan. He's great. And it turned out that he absolutely loved Jeremy in the same way. Now, Alan and I are very different people. Mm. Our lives are very different. Our histories are very different. Our ages are very different. You know, I mean, Alan was, you know, he was, Alan's always been this kind of, my joke about Alan is, you know, in any sort of thing, like in any film you ever see about punk rock, okay, Mm -hmm. if you move the camera slightly to the left, there's Alan. (laughs) And in this new film, Wake Up Punk, he's actually in it. And of course, he's in Great Rock and Roll Swindle. And he was working at sex with, um, you know, Westwood and McLaren. And he was friends with all that stuff. And then he was... He's the star of the 10cc, he's the roller skating star of the 10cc music video, whatever many beats per minute it is. And he was, the you know, so we've had very different lives, mm. but we both saw Jeremy and went, that's, that's me. And, and it, and it, and it demonstrably isn't. And then years later, I interviewed Robbie Benson about it. And Robbie Benson went on to, you know, be a famous uh, performer and he was, he's the voice of Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I said the thing about the film is that you know it's like it's like falling in love. It's exactly like falling in love. And he said, "Well, of course, you know me and Vincent Gunner, who was the co-star, we were falling in love actually in that film. What you see is you know is, is mm. real." I said, you, "You just you must have such such warm memories of it." He said, "No, it was quite horrible to make." It was really, yeah. And then he yeah. t- told me that it was a, these stories about just what a really really difficult like really properly unpleasant experience it was to make a film which is full of innocence yeah. and joy and and, uh, and 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 i i kept i kept thinking please stop yeah please stop. i don't want to know That's i don't want to know you know fallings out with the directors and the cinema anyway what you know but 
it goes to show, you know, I remember talking to Terry Gilliam once about um, Baron Munchausen. And, of course, famously, Baron Munchausen had this incredibly painful birth. But when you look yeah. at the film, it's light and delicate yeah. and funny. You know, so, yeah. so yeah, but Jeremy, I think, would be the film. Even though I never had any of those experiences, I'm yeah. not that boy. I'm, you know, I didn't, I don't live that life. I never did. But I, Jeremy speaks to me on a, on a profound level. I felt, I felt the same way when I saw Lady Bird. I was like, I'm Saoirse Ronan. And obviously. But there we go. Yeah. I, I met Saoirse Ronan for the first time on Monday. Oh, really? She was in the BFI. I'd done a show and she was in the BFI and she was sitting there and, um, and somebody said, that's Saoirse Ronan. She was talking to somebody I know. And I did the thing, but I kind of went over and I and I sat down. I, you know, I studiously didn't, you know. And then I just said, "Oh, hi, Sersha, I'm Mike." She said, "Oh, hi, hi, nice to meet you." And I, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, are you you know uh, you know Brendan Gunn, uh, the um, you know the dialect coach." She went, "Oh, yeah, I love Brendan." I said, "Oh, he's a good friend of mine." You know, good friend. I, what are you doing? What are you, what, I was literally just trying to go, look. I'm, yeah. you know, I we know similar people because she's so she's so great in everything. She really is. She's fantastic. This is an interesting one, and I don't know if you have an answer. What is the film you have pretended to like to impress people? <laughs> wow. What is the film I have pretended to like? Well, I will confess that I pretended to like Citizen Kane before I saw it. So it was a, <laughs> okay. huge, it was a huge relief when I actually did see it, yeah. and I thought it was good. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, no it's like, and, it, and of course, the great joy of it is, is that it's funnier mm. than, than you expect. Mm. And so, you know, you go in thinking, here we go, the greatest movie ever yeah. made, oh God. And then, of course, it's it's funny and it's satirical yeah. and news on the march and all that stuff, which I, which I really love. I remember I reviewed a film once, the title of it may come back to me. Years later, I think it was called Last Images of the Shipwreck. I think that's what it was called. And I reviewed it for Time Out. And sometime later, Alan Frank, who's a fellow film critic, he was doing some. He was doing some cataloging. He said, "He said I read your review of uh, Last Images of the Last Images of the Shipwreck." And I went, "Oh, wow, yeah, I said, like twenty years ago." I mean, he said, "Yeah," he said, "That was the best example of somebody pretending to like a film that I have ever read." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so evidently. According to you know, to an outside third party, yeah. and I'm more inclined to believe it. Evidently, I was pretending to like that because it made me seem clever. But he, he, he literally said, "Yeah, it's the best example of somebody pretending to like a film I've ever read." Well, I think if a, I'd rather a critic pretended to like something than, than yeah, the other exactly. way around. I don't know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, what is the film you've never seen that you think it's mad you've never seen it? There's an academic game, you know, Linda, my wife is a professor of uh, film mm-hmm. and um, there's an academic game, which is a kind of game of a dare game, which is the book that you should have read that you haven't read that you've been teaching for 20 years. And it's kind of, you know, it starts at something fairly obscure. And then each each person who admits has to <laughs> has to crank it closer to the what, what do you mean you've never read Jane Eyre? You know, what do you mean you've never read Emma? <laughs> it's like that kind of level of thing. The film that I'm astonished that I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. I've never seen Wild Horse Hank. That is mad. What's the film? (laughs) What's the film you love? Do you know what that is? No, what is Wild Horse Hank? Well, Wild Horse Hank is a Linda Blair film, and I've never seen it, and it's her favourite film that she made. Then that is really mad. And I I love Linda Blair. I think she's she's great, and I've never seen it. And the reason I've never seen it is because 
I, I, when I was in my Linda Blair completist period, in which yeah. I was trying to get everything she'd ever done, Wild Horse Hank was just not available. But she said it's the one of all her films, it's the one she loves the most. And right. I, I interviewed her. You need to track that down. I, I interviewed her and I think I lied. <sighs> I think I said, oh, yes, I love it too, because I wanted to impress her. <laughs> what? I mean, you've got to track that down now. What yeah. is the film that you love that you don't expect anyone else to like? Well, Jeremy is a very good example. <laughs> I, I won't. I mean, in fact, like so much so that we have three copies of Jeremy in my house and none of my family have ever seen it. Really? And, yeah. And they, and I, and they, they can't, they won't, I won't allow them to see it because I couldn't deal with them not liking it. And they think there's a very good chance that they wouldn't like it because I think there's loads of things that were probably mm. deeply wrong with it. And so, you know, I, I mean, that. it's it's just, I mean, Simon won't watch it and that's the joke because he thinks the joke yeah. is funniest if he doesn't watch it. But it's also entirely possible that he would watch it and just think it's an absolute piece of trash. Um, yeah. So I, I, I can completely understand. Like if somebody said to me, should I watch Jeremy? Mm. Two parts, one part of my brain would go, yes, it's a lot, it's me. And then the other part of it would go, no, I do really know. Yeah, because if they don't it. like Jeremy, they don't like you. Oh, God. It's too yeah, much. and actually, bro, it's I think that's much. right. I think there's yeah. a part of me that couldn't take that level of judgment, you know? Yeah, it's too much. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how you cope with it. I, anyone that doesn't like a film that I love hurts my heart. I mean, I can't, I can't yeah, and. Well, I always used to make that joke about if you don't like Mary Poppins, we won't be friends. And I, and sure. I didn't mean it as a joke. I meant no, it as a kind of, you know, Absolutely. the person who I was talking about, the, the studio head of the people that make, you know, family entertainment, but I thought mm. was a man with a black hole where his soul ought to be. I told him that I cried. I told him that I cried every time I watched Mary Poppins. And he said, well, you've just made a fool of yourself. Ah. But I can't, te- I can't tell you who it was. I can't no. tell you who it was. No. Okay. What's the film? You would show a lover, that's right, a lover as a I don't test. have lovers, Brett. Well, to go back, pre-Linda. I don't what? really have lovers then. <laughs> <laughs> the film, have, okay, on, a partner. What is the film you would show a partner as a test to see if you should be together? Mary Poppins. Great. I mean, um, you, you're sort of tying yourself up in knots here because yeah. in a way I'm kind of, you know, it's like I'm, I'm boringly predictable with these answers, but Mary Poppins, I do mean it. I genuinely mean oh. it. It's like if you don't get Mary Poppins, we aren't going to get on because so much of, you know, so much of, of, of what, what I believe in is Mary Poppins. Yeah. That, you know. Mary Poppins is fucking amazing. It's just, it's just a joy. It's, it's, it's about everything that's good in the world and mm. it's the best the best explanation of the financial crash I've ever seen on film and the songs are wonderful and it's just mm. transcendent and yeah it's it's you know I'm sure we a, talked about uh, it right but uh, yeah, saved, yeah. you saved Mr Banks is the one that made me cry yeah it's lovely it's lovely she says why did you have to make him so horrible yeah it's just great mm. what is the film that made you the most uncomfortable uh, is it Martyrs <sighs> Martyrs did make me uncomfortable Last House on the Left made me feel really, really queasy, but partly mm. because Last House on the Left was kind of a test of that. How much do I actually believe in free speech? Mm. Um, because I was, you know, I was involved in defending it um, when we were trying to get it uncut through the BBFC. And it's a the thing that I had always held was Last House on the Left shouldn't be released uncut because it isn't a salacious piece of nastiness. 
it should be released uncut because it's an important piece of salacious nastiness, you know. Mm. There are some people who say, well, you know, Lost House and the Left, it isn't an exploitation movie. It's actually about the reality of violence. No, it's not. It's an exploitation movie. It was originally called Sex Crime of the Century. You know, it's, it's, it's an exploitation right. movie. If you think it isn't, you're kidding yourself. In the same way as if you think... If people defend films often by disavowing what they are, okay? And a, the, a great example for me is Cruising, the William Friedkin film Cruising. Mm. People say, well, you know, that film is, you know, it's got this really sort of salacious mix of sex and violence in it. To which the answer is, yes, it has. And if you pretend that that's not part of its appeal, then you're just lying to yourself about the film. I mean, it might be, a, yeah. you know, an existential murder mystery and all those other things, but it's also got this incredibly tactile sleaziness to it that actually is very, very cinematic. And I think it's an interesting film, but I, but I partly think it's an interesting film because it's got, you know, mm. all this, you know, this stuff going on that's really kind of, you know, it's a film that feels like it's enjoying itself. Yeah. You know, in the scenes in which it's apparently meant to be not enjoying itself. Do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> I it's, uh, so I mean, think it's, yeah. it's a kind of very revealing movie like that. So the, the times that I've been, I, I think in the case of Last House, I felt uncomfortable because I was going into bat for it to make a case for it being released uncut. And so I did have to watch it quite a few times. And every time mm. I watched it, it go, you know, this is, this is really nasty. It's a mm. really nasty film. Even Wes Craven thought the same thing. I mean, he thought it was about something. He thought it was important. And I think it is important. Because in terms of the evolution of horror, it is about something, but it's also completely nasty. It's got these weird bits of slapstick comedy in it. It's just yeah. complete. I said to Craven once, what's that about? He said, well, I felt the audience needed a break. <laughs> really? You know, so, so I think that made me feel very, very uncomfortable. You, the things that I usually feel most uncomfortable in, though, are films that try to co-opt me into into something that i don't believe in and i it most regularly happens in kind of bro humor which i don't find funny i just don't find it funny and i hate the idea you know the entourage thing was um mm-hmm. you know that they said well it's every i remember the thing was it's every man's dream it's every boy's dream to have this. it isn't it wasn't mine and i'm not alone i know loads and loads of men who don't have that dream i not only do i not have that dream i would literally want to floss my head if i if that dream ever got into my and i hate the fact that the film is going all right eh, 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 eh. you know we do really don't we and I, I that makes me feel uncomfortable because i feel like just sitting here watching this quietly rather than standing up and, and being outraged i once saw a play uh it was at, uh, when i was at manchester university it was some kind of bit of agitprop and uh I think it was a, maybe it was a Brecht piece, I can't remember, but there were these, regularly the actors would stand at the front of the stage and say, will you intervene? Will you intervene? And the second time they did it, somebody stood up and said, yep. And they went, oh, what? And it, and it, it was like, what the fuck? And it, it was just like, yeah, there, good for That's you. great. Good for you. That's great. Can we go home now? That's great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what? Uh, well, it's probably Mary Poppins. What is if you could show a child one film? What would it yeah. be? Well, Poppins, obviously, and I mean it's yeah. not an if. I did, you know. I mean, my my daughter and I must have watched Mary Poppins a hundred times in a year. What's because, the age you start a, a child on Mary Poppins? What's the youngest? Uh, I think Georgia first saw it when she was about three. Okay, I think that's about right because it's got songs and an yeah. animation, you know. So it's a, it's a kind of it's a gateway drug, you know. It's a, <laughs> yeah. And we had it on a on a DVD, but it was a flipper. You had to get up and turn the thing over. So right. it's exactly the moment when she says, "Michael, stop stravaging," you know, because he's got one foot in the gutter and one foot on the thing, and then it would stop, 
Then you'd have to get up and turn it over, and then there was the tea party on the ceiling. But I don't know, that was kind of like the intermission. So you couldn't fall asleep. Mm. You know, you had to be awake to turn the thing over. So we just watched it over and over again. But it, it's 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 so great because she would see it as a, as a child and I would see it as an adult and we'd both be enjoying it for, for completely yeah. different reasons. I think the Ghibli films are similar. I think mm. that, um, you know, you can watch things like Spirited Away. I mean, in fact, I did. Um, when my daughter was still quite young, um, I was given a videotape of Spirited Away because they wanted to do a piece about it on Radio 4. And they'd asked me, what I thought about it. This was before the kind of, you know, Ghibli became everything to everyone. Yeah. And I sat and watched it with my daughter and she loved it. And I was completely baffled by it. I mean, the narrative was the bathhouses and the what and the thing and the pardon, you know, but she just loved it. And I was, you know, and that, that gave me a way of going, well, it makes sense on some fundamental level that's beyond narrative, you know? Mm, I like that. And Ponyo, Ponyo is the other great example of that. Somebody, somebody catches a fish that just turns into a person, but it doesn't really. It's sort of still a fish. What's the film? I forgot what it's called, but I really, really loved it, and you loved it too. It's quite recent. What's it called? Um, where the the turtle is? Is there's no oh, diamond, the red turtle? The red, the red turtle. turtle. And I really loved that film, and it was really beautiful. And I don't think it has any dialogue, right? It's all no. It's it's. It, funnily enough, the the, the bloke goes, hey. Hey, yeah. when he first arrives on the island, and that's, that's it. it. And I was wondering, I, I have no experience of children seeing it. Did you see that with your children? I wonder how it plays with uh, children. I have seen it with my children because I, yeah. I saw it. I loved it. I interviewed um, Michael Dottovic, who's the director. He gave me one of the original drawings of wow. the turtle, which I have signed on my wall. That's and then, you know, and then I just showed it to my family. My family, they, 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 they were older kids by that point but you know but yeah it was just like you have to watch this it's the best thing ever yeah it's really it's really something mark kermode you have been wonderful so wonderful (laughs) i've decided i'm gonna let you live but thank you i might kill you again one day in the future so just before (laughs) i do uh there's a will here and you need to leave one dvd for the people behind in case you happen to die again just one DVD for any for for anybody. Yeah, for your loved ones. <sighs> well, okay. Mm-hmm. I would leave Petite Maman oh. because because it has out. it has I think one of the most brilliant depictions of of childhood and adulthood and the bit when the mum says, you know, you're not responsible for my sorrow. Mm. It's, it's just. I mean, I just think that film is is just... It's amazing. It's like 80, 82 minutes long and yeah. every piece of human life is in there. Yeah. You know, I, so I'd say that. Okay. I'd say that. Wonderful. That's wonderful. <laughs> I also think it's nice you've left for the future where people have no attention spans. You've left a short film. That was very thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark Kermode, I really, really appreciate your time. I've loved doing this again. Thank you. No, it was fun. Thank you for having me back, bro. I really appreciate no, it. No, I you. appreciate you. Thanks if you. there's anything you want to tell me to li- listen, look out for, read, or anything, please say now. Well, you know, I hope that people will, will listen to the podcast. I hope yeah. that they'll um, that they'll find us, uh, you know, on the, the new podcast. And as you said... Not radically different show, really. I mean, it's... it's wow. you know, I mean, it's like, whoa. It's, you know, <laughs> things are changing. It's the difference between the People's Popular Front of Judea and the Popular People's Front of Judea. It's that, you know, it's that, yeah. that level of divisiveness. But, yeah, no, I've been, I, I, 
I would really like it if people listen, if people found the podcast and they appear to be doing so. And that's lovely, but I don't ever take it for granted. I do not take it for granted because Simon and I would like to carry on doing it. We love doing that show mm. and we can only carry on doing it if people listen to it. So um, yeah. I know this sounds needy and pleady, but you know, <laughs> please download it. Yeah, <laughs> I think they should. I think they will. I'm sure if they listen to this, they already do. Mark Hamad, God bless you. Thank you for your time. God bless. I will Thank say you. goodbye and stop the recording. Thank you. That was a real pleasure. Thank you. So that was episode 201. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Mark. Don't forget to get your tickets for the live show at the Hackney Empire, July 2nd at hackneyempire.co.uk or plosive.co.uk. So listen, last week I said that I was going to take a break from the podcast. I had so many nice messages from loads and loads of people and I would like you to know that they all meant an awful lot to me at the moment. I feel very bad about taking this break, but I'm going to take a little break, but there will be more podcasts, I'm sure. So hold on tight, listen to old ones. If you miss them, come see the live show. I appreciate you all and I will speak to you soon. Uh, thank you so much to Mark for giving me all his time. Thanks to Scroopy's Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics. Lisa Lydon for the photography. See you very soon. But in the meantime, have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Thank you. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home.